0: Movies, sports, TV shows, gaming, play bass adds dynamic pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing on your TV and streams your favorite music when it's off, yet its low-profile design practically disappears beneath your television. And now, for the first time ever, Sonos is offering listeners of Binge Mode this podcast 10% off one order of $2500 or less for any product on sonos.com this offer is available for limited time only cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions just use the promo code binge10 capital b i n g e 10 at sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer what do you see adult content Keep looking. i see ...adult content that people might be offended by. What do you see? I see binge mode. The binge mode. I see that if people are offended by adult content, they shouldn't listen to binge mode. But if they like the show Game of Thrones, they should listen to it.
1: Do you believe me now, again? Do you believe we're here for a reason? I never thought that dragons would exist again. No one did. The people who follow you know that you made something impossible happen. Maybe that helps them believe that you can make other impossible things happen. Build a world that's different from the shit one they've always known. But if you use them to melt castles and burn cities, you're not different. He's just more of the same. Hello! Woo! <laughs> and welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Yes! Relaunched this week. Check it out. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Beautiful. It's beautiful as dragon flame. Joining me today. Yes. Now that he's finished burning that loot. Burn that loot. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hi, Jason Yes. I didn't
0: expect it to smell like that. They never actually tell you how they shit themselves. They
1: do not put that part in the song. <sighs> Long live Robert. He taught us so right. much. Guys, fear not. We will put that part in Binge Mode. Yeah. If you guys are new to this show, proudly part of the Ringer Podcast Network, we have breakdowns of all 63 previous <laughs> Nervous game breakdowns. <laughs> And also, of all 63 previous Game of Thrones episodes waiting for you to listen to during your next bit of battle prep, and we're keeping our Thrones discussion going throughout Season 7, we're deep diving one episode at a time, one week at a time, requisite spoiler slash speculation warning. And actually, it's not a spoiler warning, because we want to be very clear about something. We are not acknowledging or consuming the leaks. We will not watch these episodes in advance. We will not be talking about things in the leaks because we want to avoid the things in the leaks at all costs for our sake and for yours. But, you know, we're going to watch the the teaser for the next episode. We're going to go deep on the details from the show and from the book, The Wider World. So there's going to be a lot of speculation, a lot of healthy theorizing. Hopefully you're comfortable with that. Yes. Guys, Dive into that Blackwater Rush. It's deep. Surprisingly deep. Because it's time to break down Season 7, Episode 4, the instantly iconic The Spoils of War. Loot Train! People did not love the name Loot Train. But they did love the Loot Train attack itself. What an episode. What an episode. Jason. Yes. My only current venture, other than making fun of the name bullet train attack is regaining control of this continent and every person on it. See, actually, easier than what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take stock of those people. Yeah. And where they are. Let's offer up a brief refresher on what transpired in this electric, dare I say, instant fan favorite sure. fourth installment by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. You go first. In the reach, Jamie
0: and Braun bicker as they. Pack the wealth and abundance of Highgarden off to King's Landing. And in King's Landing, Tycho Nestoris is quite pleased. Highgarden's gold is on the way, and the Iron Bank will soon be made whole. Cersei is already looking ahead. Part of her plan is to bring Westeros under her control. Hire the famed mercenary group, the Golden Company.
1: I read a book about them that Philip Pullman wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Chris. I love you. Deep talk the (laughs) thrones cut. Watch us live on Twitter. Watch on Sundays. In Winterfell. Guys, what an episode for the action in Winterfell. Really great. This is... A little sidebar here. This is one of those Game of Thrones episodes that is so awesome and rich because people will remember it for the battle scene, which was awesome, but every single thing that came before that was also wonderful. As Andy Greenwald would say, it's those quiet moments. Quiet moments. Beautiful. And we got lots of quiet moments in Winterfell. Quiet but beautiful. And quiet but haunting. First, Littlefinger, that shady fucker, shady, gives Bran the cat's paw dagger because what better gift? I brought you a gift <laughs> for a strange boy than the dagger that almost cut his throat. So thoughtful. But Littlefinger is brought up short when Bran throws his signature catchphrase back in his face. Chaos is a ladder. That's right. Then, great timing from Mira. She interrupts this tense moment to announce that she is heading back to Greywater Watch. Take us with you. Please, I would love to spend some time with Howland. Bran, who doesn't really know who he is anymore, gives her a chilly goodbye. This is a pretty agonizing scene. After this, spirits lift, guys, because Arya is home. She slips past a pair of inept guards. Comically, like, guys, there's (laughs)
0: Winterfell has just been the site of like a major battle and there's more to come. Can we just get some better people
1: like on the gate? As you discussed on Ask the Maester Live, just a wider note in general for literally every character in the story. Guys, guards, scouts. Yeah, Post some people Let's out there Come on, guys. to watch your back. What are y'all doing? Arya slips by, no surprise, and heads down to the family crypt to visit Ned's tomb. Sansa finds her there. They catch up for a bit. This scene, I would Wonderful. argue, it's it's incredible. And I would argue that it is among the scenes that has been interpreted like in the most different ways, depending on how you feel about these characters, there are pe- some people who thought this was like an extremely chilly reunion. I think we both thought it was actually really more not, <laughs> nothing that yeah, really more really and touching, it was quite heartfelt. Two, two hugs, guys, not yeah. just one. Two. They're obviously going to have a lot of catching up to do from here, because as they both say to each other, it's a long story. Then Sansa takes Arya to see Bran, and Bran tells Arya in not at all creepy fashion, not at all. I've been watching you. I've been watching you. I saw you at the crossroads. I thought you were going to head to King's Landing. And then he gives her the Valyrian dagger. This is exciting. Very exciting. This is the dagger that was on the Entertainment Weekly cover. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Later, Arya spars with Brienne to a virtual tie as Sansa and Littlefinger watch sports. And more importantly, as Pod watches oh. Arya with Pod, this is a, love in his eyes and fire in his loins. This is a note I
0: have for Pod. Pod has one face that he makes when things are happening that he likes. And it's like this mixture of, <laughs> wow, this is great. And a little like a sprinkle of schadenfreude. Because his, the person who's been whooping his ass for X amount of years is kind of, like, getting took. Totally. It's great. The eyes, like, you yeah. yeah. In Dragonstone, Missy tells Danny that she and the worm hooked up. What happened, Danny says? Many things, Many Missy things. says. And then Danny makes the classic eyeball-looking emoji looking sideways, like, what? Jon Snow takes Danny to the dragonglass cave.
1: Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he he does. really does.
0: <laughs> he shows her an archaeological find, a depiction of the long night drawn by the children of the forest. Things get a little toasty in there.
1: Not toasty enough. Toasty enough. What would Egret say? Egret would say She'd say, That thing you did.
0: With, with your tongue.
1: <laughs> Tyrion brings news from
0: Casterly. Uh, mainly that the Unsullied have taken it, but are now kind of isolated. Danny is pissed and ready to take her dragons to King's Landing. John talks her out of raising the capital. Davos teases John about Danny. John comes back with, "In my opinion, his greatest. <laughs> I saw the Night's King and I looked into that motherfucker's eyes." Retort. Yet, I mean can't we just like relax for 10 seconds and incredible. talk about something good incredible theon arrives on the island and john doesn't kill him theon's looking for danny but she isn't there hmm where could she be so glad you asked yeah so
1: glad you asked on the banks of the black water rush Root train! Root train! <laughs> is this the worst name battle in the history of battles with names <laughs> pretty bad Do you think that the showrunners and the writers did this as a little favor to George to say like, hey, you're still needed, you know, you can still do stuff that no one else can do?
0: Like this is like probably this is a deeper answer than probably is needed here. But I think it just speaks to the fragility of storytelling worlds. The illusion is so fragile. It's really fragile,
1: guys. It really is. Yeah. And so was the loot, and so was the train. And <laughs> it turned <laughs> and out all of that the armor, the train, the loot, the men, the whole thing. You know, Jamie's just trying to have a chat with Randall. Like, don't flog the soldiers yeah. just because they're being slow. Maybe give them a little warning first. And then, is that the Dothraki's music? <laughs> is that Danny and Drogon's music? <laughs> <laughs> it yes. is. This is it. It's it. This is it. This is what we have been waiting for, Danny. Not just putting her hand on some sand. Right. That was great. That was really great. I don't want to minimize that. That was great. But this is really what we've been waiting for, Danny on her winged beast flying into battle on Westerosi soil. Like no shots at what happened in Marine, but that's not Westeros, you know, Drogon, Rose. The Lannister Army, the way that this was shot, the way that this was filmed was choreographed, amazing. the CGI really was upped. It, it was just incredible. Was our incredible. hearts were pounding out of our rib cages. We were gripping each other's arms and hands watching this. I, I still don't really know how we went and had a semi coherent <laughs> conversation <laughs> about it immediately after. I could barely breathe. Bron runs over to Kyburn's Qyburn. <laughs> big crossbow, takes out a Dothraki. Takes the first shot at Drogon, misses, and then boom, makes contact somehow, somehow mm-hmm. with scales that should be as hard as armor. Punctures Drogon, who screeches. <sighs> really, really, that was hard to watch. I was yeah. extremely concerned. Lowers, hovers, yeah. whips that tail. Beautiful. And then lands. Danny dismounts. And here it is. This is the moment. Jamie, the Kingslayer, right. shoots his shot. tries to become a Queenslayer. Here, right. grabs a spear, charges full steam ahead. Danny turns, but uh oh. So does right. Drogon, protecting his mommy. Protect mommy. And just as he opens up his mouth to unleash what would certainly be a mortal burst of fire, a figure. Who could it be? It's not Noah Syndergaard. I'll tell you that. He had his moment earlier in the episode. Swoops from the side and knocks Jamie into the, again, just shockingly deep. a hundred foot deep (laughs) river. Blackwater rush. The episode ends on a shot of Jamie wearing heavy armor, sinking to the depths
0: of the river. Mal, the children and the first men fought together against their common enemy, despite their differences, despite their suspicions together. Beautiful. We need to do the same if we're going to survive binge mode because the enemy (laughs) is real. It's always been real. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let us cut right to the core of it by sticking with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is Reckonings. Debts must be paid. The scales of karma must be balanced. The energy that you put into the world will come back upon you, or so we hope. Let's talk about Jamie. Love talking about Jamie. Jamie has done some great and terrible things in his life, and which is which is often unclear. He has paid dearly for the great things, saving King's Landing from the Mad King's wildfire plot, saving Brienne from the Bolton men at the cost of his honor and hand, respectively. And he has skated by pretty easily for the terrible things. Yes. Pushed Bran out of a window, helping to spark a war that devoured thousands, perhaps millions of lives, um... While he might have disagreed with Tywin about the wisdom of the Red Wedding in the moment, certainly had no problem enforcing the injustice of the deed, continues to do so. He helped the phrase retake Riverrun, threatened to catapult an infant over the walls of the castle, the, the infant conceived by...
1: He's like, <laughs> telling him, Bronn, I can't operate big crossbow with one right. hand, but you can
0: operate a catapult?
1: I know, with a moving Comedient. child. Come on, guy. <laughs> uh, the
0: child, of course, conceived by Edmure and Rosalind, on the night of the Red Wedding, even as the massacre raged below them, he sticks by Cersei. even though She blew up the Sept of Baylor, indirectly causing their son to kill himself. He sacked Highgarden. All of this makes Jamie, for me anyway, the most interesting character in the story, most complex. I would really, really hate to see this guy die. I like him. But it's hard to shake the feeling that for all the pain and heartache that he's put into this world, there is a reckoning out there with Jamie's name on it, and then reckoning, in this case, Comes in the form of a large, intelligent, and ferocious, winged, fire-breathing hell beast carrying an angry <laughs> queen on its back. Yeah, Part it of, does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Part of what was like really exhilarating about watching Drogon cut loose was the knowledge that some character who we had grown close to might actually get the thing that they deserve. Yeah. Uh, Jamie has more. Hopefully, much more, guys. I, like Jamie. Shouts to Chris Ryan to do in this story. <laughs> His death would make. A kind of sense, though. And dying on the field of battle, could there be a better, more honorable way for Jamie Lannister to go? And there's something poetic about that final charge. It was intensely stupid, of course, like a lot of the things that Jamie has
1: right. done.
0: But in that moment, he was the, he's the vision of the knight that he always wanted to be.
1: And I completely agree with you. I'm getting a chill <laughs> listening to you talk about it. And because the poetry and the symmetry yeah. is even more powerful given what specifically yes. he was trying to stop. Not just an enemy, but yes. a ruler hellbent on burning them yes. all. And we're gonna talk later in the episode about Danny's strategy, Danny's successes and failures, and yeah. Danny's you know, mindset and mission, but whether you think that burning them all is okay or not on the field of battle, seeing this, witnessing this, the shot of, the close-up shot of Jamie's face as bones yeah. just turn to ash and blow in the wind behind him, the, the way that the sound cue changes so that you're hearing the intake yes. of his breath. You know in that moment that he's not only faced with thinking about, will I ever see Cersei again? Right. The one thing I care about in this world. Will I be able to... Escape alive? Will I be able to protect my men and fulfill my function as the commander of this army? But he's also, he has to be thinking back to the turning point, the pivotal moment of his life when he decided to kill the king he had sworn to protect because that king wanted to burn them all. And these are soldiers right now in this case, not innocent bystanders and civilians in King's Landing. But for Jamie of all people to be in that situation, what a fitting end it would have been, really, but I'm really not ready mean. to say goodbye either. Me neither. I'm not ready to say goodbye. Yeah. He has more work to do. He I has agree. to go kill Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting interplay between Jamie and Bronn oh, in this yes. episode, because Jason, I don't know if you know this about the Spetha Lannisters, <laughs> but. Me. They pay their debts. Is that that true? Always. Is that true? Yeah. They're always talking about it. And honestly, it can get a little tiring. And Bronn, in some charming, (laughs) charming moment, has brought this up before. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Don't you fucking say it. The thing is, what happens when the debts in question are not actually getting paid? Right? Bronn wants to know. Yeah. This is something that he loves to talk about. And of course, yes, undeniably, his circumstances have improved markedly since he met Tyrion back in season one. He has a title now. Bronn of the Blackwater, right? In honor of his service during the battle of the same name. He is rich. There's that great moment after he falls off his horse. Yeah. And his satchel, his bag of gold <laughs> it's his, falls. It's his very heavy sack of gold. Where he looks at it and you know, you can see the calculation playing right. out in his mind. What's more important here. Right that gold or the extra seconds and potentially my life yes. that reaching for that gold will cost me. Braun legitimately cares about this stuff. But he's also always weighing what the risk to getting that gold right. is. Why wouldn't he be Tyrion's champion a second time against right. the mountain? He was like, what good does your debt do me? Right. And you pay in it right. if I'm dead. Exactly. This is a similar situation here. That's actually what makes the fact that he... Saves Jamie at the end. We're presuming that was Braun. It's hard it's, to know for sure, but it, who for else could various it be? reasons, right. is. Dickon can't move that fast. Yeah, Dickon. He, Dick, Dickon. Dickon's got that heavy armor. Yeah. Braun keeps it fresh and light, right. you know? The fact that he would be willing to do that, to put himself in pr- front of that dragon flame yeah. for Jamie, speaks to something deeper than right. actually just a transactional relationship. But still, affection aside, you know, a promise is a promise. And Bron got a promise yeah. from Jamie. Look, Bron was loyal to Tyrion for a long time. Back in season four, Cersei made her move to separate Bron from Tyrion basically with riches, with promises, right? right? Here's some new fancy clothes. Ah, and here's a new fancy bride, Miss Lawless. You ever just sit around thinking about Lawless? Yeah.
0: She's a nice, she's a nice lady. <laughs>
1: respectable Stokeworth family from the Crownlands. And yes, sure, of course, the fine print clearly stated that Lawless would not be inheriting this fine seaside castle. But Bron wants to advance. Bron's a climber. Bron knows what he's after. And the way that Jamie got Bron to leave Stokeworth was by saying, hey, come to come to Dorne and I'll give you a better castle and a Better bride. And Bronn is waiting to cash that in still. And Bronn has been complaining about Jamie's failure to pay that debt since last season. The Frey siege at Riverrun, when Bronn and Jamie arrive. And Bronn brings this up. He says, You promised me a lordship and a castle and a highborn beauty for a wife. And Jamie says, You'll get all three. A Lannister always pays. And this is where that joke we referenced right. earlier comes in. Don't say it. Don't fucking say it. Bronn says this as he rides off. So OK, no surprise then that after being the right hand, right. air quotes, air horns, that Jamie lost through their various sparring sessions, through the Dornish campaign, through the sacking of Highgarden and the Reach. Braun feels hard done by. He's ready to cash this in. He's right. concerned about what how many more things he's going to have to do to get what is. his. And he's also wondering why Jamie's in such a sour mood. This is before. Loot train, battle, <laughs> attack. Bron says he just took the biggest prize in the world. What could you possibly have to be upset about? Come on, you can tell me. The Queen of Thorns give you one last prick in the balls before saying goodbye. <laughs> Jamie says, This is really interesting. I'll save my yeah. confessions for the high septin. Bron says, There is no more high septin. Jamie says, No, there isn't, is there? This is like a little subtle hint, a little insight into what Jamie's thinking. Obviously, right. What Olena said to him about her role in Joffrey's death is weighing heavily on his mind, presumably also what she said about Cersei yep. being a monster who's yep. going to bring Jaime down. Jaime seems to feel, even if he can't, certainly can't express it aloud and maybe can't even fully acknowledge it to himself, that for all of this, for all of Cersei's evil deeds, for all of Jaime's own connections to them, yep. there will be a reckoning. So, you know, on the one hand, it's like, forgive him if he doesn't have time to think about your castle. <laughs> right. Right. But you get it from Bronn's perspective. He didn't grow up at Casterly Rock. Right. He didn't grow up in a great house, the son of a great lord. This is what it's all about for him. And he gets down to brass tacks, silver stacks, gold dragons. There's still the question of my prize. And Jamie's like, dude, I just handed you yeah. a shitload a of, money. of money. It's not a castle. Bronn looks at Highgarden. This is when they're still <laughs> this is great in front of Highgarden. How about that one? It's available. Jamie's basically like, dude, you don't want to be in a super strategic position while Danny is about to wage war on us. Think? Bron's like, you know, all your new riches wearing you down? What are you so glum about? Jamie says, they're not mine. The gold belongs to the Iron Bank. See, we pay our debts. Right, just not to me. Sir Bron of the Blackwater, formerly of whatever nameless shit heap you're from, (laughs) with a saddlebag full of gold complaining about not getting paid, When we win this war, all the castles in the Seven Kingdoms will be yours to choose from with no one left to take them away from you. Ah, when we win this war. Presumptuous. Extremely presumptuous language from Jamie here. Feel a reckoning coming. And what has Bronn done to deserve a reckoning anyway?
0: Well, let's give Jamie this. He has a point about Bronn, the knight or lord or whatever of the Blackwater has profited healthily from the relationship that he has with the Lannister family. He's been on the front lines of the various wars all throughout. He gambled with his life to spring Tyrion from the braille. He invaded Dorne with Jaime, fought at the Blackwater. Bronn is likely alive after his fall into the very, 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 very deep waters of the Blackwater rush. He can't have gotten this far without being a strong swimmer anyway. <laughs> and he's rich. But let's face it, I and mean, the guy has been extremely lucky. At some point, luck runs out. And then there are the Tarleys. Love the Tarleys. Don't we all? Similar, if less complicated <laughs> situation for the Tarleys, Randall and Dickon. Sorry, Rickon? Dickon. Oh, Dickon. Dickon. Dick Dick
1: maybe the best moment of the episode is Braun just losing his shit laughing at it's that name. It's fucking great. Bron is all of us. He really is. We all just want to laugh at a dumb name and get paid. Don't we? <laughs>
0: Shouts to anus. Um, So, I mean, the Tarleys broke faith with House Tyrell after centuries of service. Now, true, Randall did so at the behest of his, nominally at least, ruler, Queen Cersei. Jaime, in her name, requested House Tarleys help in crushing the rebellious Tyrells. To refuse that would have been to declare open rebellion. And also, can't understate the fact that Randall was in King's Landing. Kind of hard to say no in person. right. Um, that said, it's not like Randall doesn't know who he's dealing with of and course. what the Lannisters have done and who they are. He said in episode two of this season, Randall to Jamie, I'm a Tarly. That name means something. We're not oath breakers. We're not schemers. We don't stab our rivals in the back or cut their throats at weddings. Randall knows he must know why Lady Olenna rebelled because Cersei murdered her entire fucking family along with countless other innocent bystanders when she detonated the Mad King's. Old wildfire under the Great Sept of Baylor. He might be a stern man of his word, racist motherfucker. But he's making a calculated decision to betray Olena when he knows that her cause is the right cause. Yes, the foreign element in Danny's army is playing a role in his decision, of course. But so is the offer to become warden of the south and lord of the reach. Don't don't forget about that. Then there is Dick On. Dick on. Dick on! (laughs) Honestly, Fancy Dick's <gasps> Reckoning is just the sins of the father visited upon the son. I just love saying dick on. You know who loves Fancy Dick?
1: <laughs> Cersei. Let's talk about Cersei oh, for a bit. Uh, Cersei and Mycroft had lots to talk about in this episode. And Cersei, you know, she has actually... Gotta give her this. Are we gonna give, are we gonna give Cersei a little praise here? Is it time? Is it time to give, give Cersei her, a little praise? Let's give her this quite effective yeah. at dealing with the reckoning set in motion by Tywin's economic policies. The Lannister Mines, remember, tapped out right. in, in secret. No one knew, not even Cersei, until Tywin told her. For years, Tywin was funding his house the crown with monies that he borrowed from the Iron Bank. The juice, as they say. Yeah, the Vig. Flowing. On the street. Flowing. The Iron Bank has a lot in common with the Lannisters, very, very sort of the other side of this coin, similar right? Similar sayings. Lannisters always pay their debts. Well, you want to hear this motto? The Iron Bank always gets its due. It would seem like these two are quite well paired. Yeah. And with the high garden riches in transit at the moment that those two are having that conversation, looks to be true. Yes. Looks like this debt is not only going to be paid, But in one installment! Wow, he's so impressed. He is extremely impressed. How impressed? Well, I must say, I don't think the Iron Bank has ever had a debt of such magnitude repaid in a single installment. I always considered your father a very effective and efficient man, but you appear to be redefining those terms entirely. And of course... This is like literally yeah. what Cersei has this been sitting cocaine. around.
0: She's been waiting for this her whole fucking life to hear those S- words. Sipping her
1: wine, yeah. running her fingers through her new short hair, counting her dead children, waiting for someone to say that to her. You're too kind, my lord. He's all like, oh, I'm not a lord. Yeah, yeah. But just when she has nearly extricated herself from this. Really massive hole. Being in debt, being in considerable substantial debt to the Iron Bank is a real problem. A real, real problem. Finally about to get out of this. And she's poised to dig herself another hole or maybe several holes immediately. This is classic Cersei shit. My only venture at this moment, she says, is reestablishing control over this continent and every person on it. And Tycho responds... With glee, yeah, with jubilation. Quite, yeah. He's overjoyed. I see a great deal of potential in that venture. I imagine it will require outside investment. <laughs> so she says it will indeed. I need to expand my armies, my navies, my hand, Kyber. 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 Has made overtures to the Golden Company in Essos. Guys, Jason will be going deep on the Golden Company. Yeah later in this episode, get pumped. He says, I know them well. They've helped us recover significant sums from parties who had fallen into deep arrears. Deep arrears! I well, hate
0: those deep arrears, guys. The worst kind.
1: I bet Enus loved them. No. <laughs> and Cersei, says, Cersei says, I too would like them to recover some things that belong to me. Ah, interesting. What is she referring yeah. to here? This kind of kind of gets us back into what would Euron's priceless gift have been? Right. What is Cersei really after at this point? Is she referring to a thing, like Casterly Rock? Right. Is she referring to a person? Could she be talking about Tyrion, Sansa? There's still a reckoning coming for Cersei's enemies, yep. certainly in her mind, but... By extension, that means inevitably that there is a reckoning coming for Cersei herself because her rash choices always have always. consequences. Always. And of course, we know Danny is still coming for her.
0: On Dragonstone, John, Davos, and Danny, all kinds of reckonings happening out here. Uh, I
1: loved everything about this. Guys, love is
0: uh, important. It's beautiful. It's crucial, really, as a force for good yeah. in the world. Yeah. Fictional or otherwise. It's a source of that rarest of commodities, rarer than Dragonbone and Valerian Steel happiness. But honestly, who the fuck has time for this shit? Everyone, actually, except King Snow, who is concerned with the reckoning which awaits the whole world. Davos! As they're walking down the steps in front of Dragonstone says, What do you think of her? John's <laughs> like, who? I love, first of all, this is Ew. like some extremely like high school hallways. Like, what do you think of her? What? Who? <laughs> Davos I believe you know who, of whom I speak John says I think she has a good heart Davos a good heart I've noticed you staring at a good heart and then Davos <laughs> chuckles at his jo- his own joke for this. a wonderful amount of time just <laughs> so, so amused with himself it's wonderful
1: <laughs> you should be it was a good one <laughs> and then John
0: there's no time for that sidebar yes there is come on John there's time come on there's time what there's the fuck else are you doing time. walking down the steps for no reason <laughs> And this is so, like, on-brand, epic, like, Johnny Downer shit right here. I saw the Night King, Davos! I looked <laughs> into his eyes! <laughs> Loosen the fuck up, Johnny C. Come on! Incredible. Can't we just... God! <sighs> fuck! Later, when the dragon in the cave, several kinds of reckonings begin to take shape. There is, of course, the by now well-established argument over the power structure of an ostensible Targaryen-Snow alliance. John takes Danny deeper into the cave i wish he'd take her deeper <laughs> there's something else i need to show you my your grace <laughs> <laughs> bow, 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 bow. <laughs> he takes her deep <laughs> to a room decorated uh. with ancient pictograms left by the children of the forest depicting the long night many people wondered did john just like Scribble those himself. That's some Take shit out the chalk. Come on, guys. First of all, anybody who, whose mind immediately turned to that, you're, you're suspect human beings. All of you are suspect. <laughs> John then says of these pictograms, he said, "They were here together. The children of the forest and the first man, Danny, says, "Doing what? Fighting each other?" John then gazes longingly at the Dragon queen, takes her gently by the wrist. John says they fought, the, they fought together against their common enemy despite their differences, despite their suspicions, despite their intense attraction to each other. Together. We need to do the same if we're going to survive because the enemy is real. It's always been real. Always. Danny then staring at John with intense dragon heat emanating from her eyes. And you say you can't defeat them. And my armies, my dragons. John. No, I don't think I can. Danny drawing close you can smell the whatever she smells like I'm sure she smells good. <laughs> I will fight for you. The music begins to swell. I will fight for the north the cellist strikes this plaintive note swelling <laughs> with anticipation fluttering up from the Nether regions.
1: And then Danny says when you bend the knee. Oh, come on, Danny. Man, all these people just need to loosen up. Just loosen to, just up. Also,
0: John, bend the knee, but not in the way she says. Just bend it. Is that what lords do to their ladies? John, of course, will not bend the knee. Not yet. He's got the, his kingdom <laughs> and the hopes of his people to consider. The North has been through so much, so much tragedy, so much war, so much death, so much kneeling to southern lords. So why not, like, fuck it out anyway? Especially. They are especially touchy about John kneeling to someone whose kin burned John's grandfather alive. John says, my people won't accept a southern ruler, not after everything they've suffered. Danny says, they will. If their king does, they chose you to lead them. They chose you to protect them. Isn't their survival more important than your pride? This is interesting because Danny's comments mirror the exchange that John has with Mance, season five, episode one. John. Two Mance, you spent your life convincing 90 clans to come together for the first time in history. Thens and Hornfoots, the Ice River clans, even the giants. A life's work uniting them. You didn't do it for power. You didn't do it for glory. You brought them together to save them because none of them will survive the winter. Not if they're north of the wall. Isn't their survival more important than your pride? Aha, your pride! John doesn't kneel in that moment. but Oh, man. Danny's words affected him, I'll tell you.
1: I can see it. When you say you can see it, I can see it. He's wearing like a lot of leathers yeah. and you sure you feel can it. see it. I can feel it, man. You sure you can see it? Just the way that he walked goes pretty well. Walk the way seal. he walked
0: out of that cave <laughs> like he had pulled up lame in a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and her words affected him so much that as he limps out of the cave, she actually turns to him to for advice, Danny. What do you think I should do? This is after she tears Tyrion down. John says, I, I would never presume to. Danny, I'm a war. I'm losing. What do you think I should do? And John then goes on to basically talk her out of destroying King's Landing by a dragon flame. He says, I never thought dragons would exist again. No one did. The people who follow you know that you made something impossible happen. Maybe that helps them believe that you can make other impossible things happen. And here, uh, it's... It, Interesting, fascinating even to note that John is really describing himself here, even if he doesn't yes. realize it. A world that's different from the shit one they've always known. But if you use them to melt castles and burn cities, you're not different. You're just more of the same. And here he again, he's just describing himself. John is opening his mind, too. He's doing what Tyrion told him to do, asking Danny's people why they follow her. Missy says, I serve my queen because I want to serve my queen, because I believe in her. John says, and if you wanted to sail home tomorrow, then she would give me a ship and wish me good fortune. You believe that? I know it. All of us who came with her from Essos, we believe in her. She's not our queen because she's the daughter of some king we never knew. She's the queen we chose. That is the same exact language, almost, that Sam uses to describe John during the Night's Watch election.
1: The one we chose. Choice is such an important recurring theme in this story. It's really fun when we as... Viewers of this show can recognize this repetition. You just want the characters to be able to, right? You just want John to like say, "Oh, wait a minute! I've done this before. I've heard this before." John has another interesting moment in this episode with Theon. Gotta say, shouts to Theon for pulling up in his little paddle boat,
0: little boat, little paddle
1: boat, and just being like, John, John, oh, (laughs) like as like when you walk into a
0: party and you're best friend that is now dating your ex-girlfriend is there. John. Oh.
1: Really telling that as John makes his way with clear venom in his eyes toward Theon, none of the other Greyjoys who are with Theon, none of the other men of the Iron Islands, we shouldn't say Greyjoys, make a damn fraction of a move to come to Theon's defense. Exactly. And John... After Theon mentions Sansa, starts to ask how she is. She says is she is she all right? John grabs Theon's doublet, grabs him around the chest, pulls him toward him, and says, "What you did for her is the only reason I'm not killing you." Theon has spent the last few seasons of this show waiting for a reckoning. He refused to take Maester Lewin's advice right. to go to the Night's Watch back in Season 2 when things turned sour at Winterfell because he was afraid of Jon. He wouldn't go with Sansa to Castle Black because, despite her promise to, I'll explain things, it'll be fine. Right. He's afraid of Jon. And here he is, without the foreknowledge that he'd be facing Jon, confronted with this person who wants him dead. And, like, guys, look, just because Theon didn't actually crisp Bran and Rickon alive doesn't change things. He, he killed betrayed, two innocent kids. He killed two innocent kids. He betrayed Rob. He yep. took that castle. He killed Roderick. Theon did some dirty shit. Dirty shit. A reckoning is coming. Yeah.
0: Tyrion and Danny. If Bronn has been lucky, then Tyrion has been like whatever is beyond fortunate. You know, slapped on his butt cheeks on the morning of his birth by fortune herself. Uh, just the simple fact that he was born into House Lannister, among the most respected and feared families in the realm gave him a huge advantage in life. He's smart, capable, and ruthless. Sure, no one in our story can talk his way out of a life-and-death situation like Tyrion, but just like his siblings, when Tyrion got in jams, he always knew that he could play his trump card. My father is Tywin Lannister. What would have become of Tyrion if he'd been born a commoner or to a lesser house and for almost his entire life, he's been smarter and richer than everyone he met or could possibly even meet. In that sense... Uh, The arrogance that Tyrion has always displayed is something he's come by, honestly. Now, that arrogance has really never hurt him before. I mean, think of the way he handled the imperiousness with which he handled Pycelle in Season 2 after becoming Hand, or the way he strong-armed Lancel into spying on Cersei. His arrogance has usually helped him. Not now. His hot streak is over. The dice uh, began cooling in Marine, and since landing in Dragonstone, they've been just fucking ice, frigid. Tyrion's reckoning in the form of Danny's harangue has been a long time coming. I mean, how long should Danny let a trusted advisor and teammate fuck up this thing they're trying to do without at least mentioning it to him once? Yara's fleet, almost a total loss. Dorn, off the board. The Reach, at best, crippled. At worst, actively against her. Right. The unsullied, trapped on the other side of the fucking continent. Euron's navies rule the fucking seas. Fuck up after fuck up after fuck up after fuck up after fuck up. She's never mentioned it once. Now's the time. These are all the things that have happened because Tyrion made a bad plan, guys. Davos, as Danny is tearing Tyrion a new one, Davos says. You want to discuss this among yourselves. Danny, you will stay. It is notable that Danny chose to rip Tyrion in front of Davos and John, two outsiders. I mean, technically, King John is a traitor. <laughs> You're like, she's, He's not even in this. Danny continues, all my allies are gone. They've been taken from me while we've been sitting here on this island. Tyrion, you still have the largest armies. Danny says, who won't be able to eat because Cersei has taken all the food from the Reach? Tyrion says, again, call Grey Worm and the Unsullied back. We still have enough ships to carry the Dithraki to the mainland. Commit to the blockade of King's Landing. We have a plan. It's still the right plan. And Danny says, The right plan? Your strategy has lost a store in the Iron Islands and the Reach. Tyrion says, I- if I have underestimated our enemies, <laughs> Danny, our enemies? Your family, you mean, perhaps you don't want to hurt them after all. And by the way... Tense moment. Yeah, very tense and very dangerous for Tyrion because this is a, a serious charge. But, you know, all that stuff needed to be said. You can't let this kind of, like, fucking up fester for too long. You have to imagine that if the Kingslayer survives falling to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, he'll be pulled from the river and captured. Putting Tyrion in the unenviable position of owing his brother a debt... Remember, Jamie sprung Tyrion from, from jail back in yes. season four. And being on strike two with his very irritated queen who ominously loves to watch dudes get burned and devoured by dragons. Tyrion has been making mistakes for a while now. Will he make one more? Does he free Jamie and repay the debt? Interesting question.
1: Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus... You can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now back to binge mode. And then there's Winterfell. Good things afoot in Winterfell. My goodness, the tears were flowing. I'm going to be honest. I am going to be honest. A lot of emotion. Yes. Aria coming home is a big deal. Huge. Aria, Sansa, and Bran being together again is a big deal. Yes. Littlefinger having a conversation with Bran is a big deal. Aria interacting with Bran is a big deal. This was in turn like haunting and creepy and a little alarming and funny and light and charming. And also extremely poignant. Yeah. And deeply sad. Yeah. And kind of exciting. Kind of exciting about what might be coming for the Starks. Yes! Because Star kids have been through a lot. Yeah. And now, together again, at least these three, for the first time since early in early. season one. Like episode two? They are very naturally taking stock of each other. I got to say, the shot of Uh, Arya wheeling Bran through the yard, with Sansa behind Arya, so they're in the three of them in a row. And Bran watching, and then Pod saying, you did it. Their mom would be so proud. It was just really overwhelming and beautiful. All three of them have been transformed. Yes. Changed deeply by the things that have happened to them and by what they've had to do, the choices they have had to make or that other people and circumstances have forced them to make to survive. But what's really interesting is that in the in the case of Arya and Sansa at least they have for all of that change and for as different and maybe even unrecognizable to each other yeah. as they are in some ways, they've become more themselves Like, the actualized versions of who they were always supposed to be. As a child, Arya, when we first meet her, what does she want? She wants to fight with swords. She wants to right wrongs. That's not me, she says to Ned when he talks about, oh, you'll have a castle and you'll have sons. That's not me. This was always Arya. Highly trained. Killer! An instrument of revenge. She always had this in her. And it's just now that she is basically... The most kind of extreme version right. of what she was probably always meant to be, and then Sansa,
0: she wanted to marry Prince, wanted to be high royalty, and now she's the Lady of Winterfell. She knows more about the ways, the everyday ways that power is wielded, than almost anyone. More than even John, and he's the king. It and it's no you. shots, no shots at John. But listen, the whole grain sharing program, all that stuff—that's Sansa. She did that. She's like the person who you want in their everyday running shit they're vastly different people now, but also the same. They're the Starks. When Sansa is informed by the actually pretty terrifyingly incompetent guards that the young woman claiming to be Arya has slipped into Winterfell, she knows exactly where to find her, the crypts, in front of Ned's statue. And it's an (sighs) incredible moment. It's charged with so much meaning. The last time the sisters were near each other was at the Great Sept of Baylor when Joffrey had Ned executed. The last time That's the last time they were in the same place at the same time. And think now they're standing in front of Ned's statue and they can speak to each other, Arya says, as she sees Sansa there at the crypts. Do I have to call you Lady
1: Stark now? And Sansa says, yes. That's the first utterance between them.
0: It's wonderful. And it's also, they don't know each other. They don't know what's gone on in the intervening years. But Arya, that that would be the first question that she would ask of Sansa makes total sense. Totally. They embrace and it's a wonderful moment. Sansa says, you shouldn't have run from the guards. And (laughs) Arya says, I didn't run. You need better guards. And there's a strange look that registers on Sansa's face here. After all that she's been through, of course, security for herself and for the North is Sansa's crucial concern. And it's the first hint that um, the sisters, if they can find a way to cooperate with each other, could be a formidable team. Arya then says, it suits you. Lady Stark, John left you in charge. Sansa said, he did. I hope he comes back soon. And th- here I'm not too sure that that's true. I remember <laughs> how happy he was to see me when he sees you. His heart will stop. And Arya says, it doesn't look like him looking at Ned's statue. It should have been carved by someone who knew his face. That Sansa, broke oh. my fucking heart. And Sansa says, everyone who knew his face is dead. So
1: did that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Arya says, and it's a great response, we're not. Um, and then Love she, that. she continues, they say you killed Joffrey, did you, Sansa? I wish I had. Me too. I was angry when I heard that someone else had done it. However long my list got, he was always first. And Sansa certainly seems at first chilled by the idea that her sister keeps a murder list. But isn't she even also a little secretly thrilled? Like, we'll talk about more about this later. Sansa says, you know, how did you get back to Winterfell? And Arya's like, it's a long story. Imagine yours is too. Yes. And not a very pleasant one. Mine neither. But our stories aren't oh over God. yet.
1: <sighs> that moment is... I'm s- uh. That's great.
0: And they embrace again. Ooh. And then Sansa says, Arya, Bran is home.
1: She says it as a warning. Yeah, as a, like Almost. this is a thing that I have to tell you about. Right. Bran it's- is home, but he's not Bran. Right. He's certainly not the Bran yeah. you remember. And, you know, while Arya and Sansa have become more intense versions of their childhood selves, Bran is really unrecognizable yeah. to... Not only the people around him, but to himself, and he addresses that with Mira in this episode. When Mira, the mother of dragons, dragons, shouts to Michael Bellman, shouts great. to Michael Bellman,
0: incredible dragon fucking work. that
1: sled, incredible work, it's great stuff. Yeah, so proud. When Mira tells Bran that she's leaving, right? Bran's like, "Good, bye, See ya. bye, <laughs> <laughs> safe trip." And when she pushes for you know a little more, right. says. Thank you. She is rightly, justifiably, pretty torn up about that response. Thank you. My brother died for you. Hodor and Summer died for you. So glad Summer got another mention here. I almost died for you, Bran. And he says, I'm not really, meaning Bran. Not anymore. I remember what it felt like to be Brandon Stark, but I remember so much else now. And the tears are flowing pretty, pretty freely from Mira now. She says, you died in that cave. And, you know, it's worth noting here that the Three-Eyed Raven, becoming yeah. the Three-Eyed Raven and being reborn, like Barrick, like Jon, right. some similarities here. You, you emerge less than blank, less than human, less than yourself. And... Part of what makes Mira mentioning Hodor and Summer, Bran's closest companions so poignant is that they're really what made Bran, Bran. They're really what made him human. They're what made him yeah. Brandon Stark of Winterfell. Right. And he doesn't have that it's anymore.
0: So after their reunion in Crypt, Sansa takes Arya to see Bran. And he's where else? In front of the hearts tree, just kind of grooving out. And <laughs> they talk and Bran tells Arya that he's been watching her. I saw you at the crossroads. You saw me? I see quite a lot now. And Sansa tells Arya that. Bran is having visions.
1: Sansa kind of says this in the same way that Hermione talks about Professor Trelawney's (laughs) divination classes. Like, there's a little bit of like a, you're you're choosing to spend third period in divination? Not a real subject, is it? So Bran says, I thought you might go to
0: King's Landing. Arya says, so did I. Sansa is like, why would you go back there? Bran's like, Cersei's on her list of names now. Ah, Ah, Sansa realizes now that Arya is what she says she is. It's not a joke. She keeps a list of people that she wants to kill, that she wants to murder. And while Sansa doesn't fully understand what this means, doesn't know that she can change faces, doesn't know about the poisonings, doesn't doesn't know she took out House Frey. She'll know later, a little bit more, of course, when she watches um, Arya fight Brienne in the Winterfell Memorial Sports Yard. (laughs) But watching the Stark kids together again, after so much tragedy and pain, learning about each other, it's hard to shake the feeling that this little group right here this is the reckoning. I'll explain that in, in a second. So Bran and she's the Valyrian dagger, and Arya doesn't know the weapon's history, but she immediately knows that it's notable and incredibly rare, and Arya says, where'd you get this? Uh, Bran says, Littlefinger gave it to me. Littlefinger, he's here, and Sansa offhandedly says, he's declared for Har- House Stark. Why would he give you a dagger? And Bran says, he thought I'd want it. And Sansa's like, why? It was meant to kill me. And Sansa says, the cutthroat after your fall? And Arya says, why would a cutthroat of a Valyrian steel dagger? Bran says, someone very wealthy wanted me dead. And Sansa, with bringing the wisdom now. Yes. He's not a generous man. He wouldn't give you anything unless he thought he was getting something. So why? It's interesting to, to, to think why Littlefinger would give this to Bran.
1: Right. What is his game at this right. point? What is he playing at? Is he just attempting to, does, is he actually trying to win Bran over? Right. And use Bran as a pawn, or is he trying to prop Bran up in some way and sow dissent between the siblings so that he can basically continue to work Sansa? Probably,
0: yes. I mean, when you think about it, like uh, we talked about this on Talk of Thrones and other places, Um, Sansa is in the full flower of independence from Littlefinger. Arya does not trust Littlefinger. Certainly, she was there in Harrenhal when Littlefinger was talking with Tywin about killing Rob. She may know that Littlefinger held a knife to her father's throat in the throne room. Maybe, maybe it's interesting to to consider that. You know, Brienne doesn't. Tr- there's not. There's not a lot of places for Littlefinger to hold on to. So maybe he's just thinking, oh, here's this weird kid. He's been in the woods. He doesn't know anything that's been going on. Let's see if I can make an approach to him. Right, hand him the dagger. Now, the thing about the thing I that we mean when we say that, that maybe the Starks are the Reckoning, this kind of you see this like the beginnings of this really formidable team is this. You know, Sansa knows the questions to ask. Immediately when she hears that Littlefinger gave him this, she's like, why? He's not generous. What does he want? Arya, meanwhile, to quote Marshawn Lynch, she about that action boss. If she if something needs to be done, someone needs to be killed, you can send her. Bran is weird, yes, but <laughs> um he's the guy that can see around corners and see things coming. In that group right there, you have uh, a team that that fills in the weaknesses of the other members and is a formidable group
1: if they can figure out how to cooperate. When Bran hands Arya that dagger, it's yeah. such a charged moment. Really the, the way he's moving his hands, the expression on his face, like, he knows, yes. right? He knows what he's doing. He knows what... She'll do with it. She'll do with it. And One of the questions that I think it's just very natural for you to be asking yourself as a viewer at this point is when are these characters going to start sharing the information that they have with each other? Right. Like, when is Arya going to mention Harrenhal? Right. When will Sansa share more of the details about everything that she's been through with Littlefinger? When will Bran tell his sisters Everything he knows. Can he? Is he yeah. like, what are the ethics, That's basically, the, the rules of being the three? He's figuring it out himself. Is the ink dry? Right. If he mentions something, does he great point. in some way corrupt? Does he their know path? where he is
0: in time? That's a great question. Fragments, yeah, right? And something, something else that maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something, I don't know. The way Bran, when Bran gives the dagger to Arya, he says, I don't want it. It's wasted on a cripple. Is it? Sure, he can't move, but a dagger would be useful. What does that mean? Like, does it have something to do with using your legs? Remember Bran, how sad he was that he couldn't ride a horse when he first fell out of um, the tower.
1: Oh, man, you know, really small thing, but you saying that just now reminds me, that was so cool about loot train attacks, (laughs) (laughs) is... Seeing the Dothraki shoot yeah. arrows from horseback is just incredible. like, because it reminded me of Lewin yes. saying to Bran, you know, after Tyrion presents the yes. saddle design, he's like, would it be possible? Could I ride? Yeah. Could I ever work a bow? Oh, Dothraki boys learn to do it from horseback when they're six. So cool to have all it those really little is. moments that connect back to things Well, here's the, the thing. Wasted on a cripple,
0: does it, so like, does this, this dagger, which we assume is connected to the Targaryens because, you know, who else would have access to Dragonbone and want to play up a connection with dragons, does it have something to do with dragon riding? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is there something about a connection with dragon? Like, why is it wasted on a Cripple? It's, I don't know. Maybe that's nothing, but it's, it's something that's stuck out to me. Love that.
1: Love that! And then there's Arya Umbrian. Yeah. We've seen Arya Scrap before. Yeah. We've seen her murder a hall full of men. <laughs> we have seen her feed... A lord, his sons in a pie. We've seen her do some shit, right? But until her spar with Brienne in the Winterfell Memorial Sports Arena, sports, <gasps> sports. <laughs> <laughs> Shouts to all you tweeting us about watching sports it's at a Winterfell. This is great binge mode deep cuts. We love it. Until this moment, we did not truly know how good of a fighter right. Arya really has become. This is advanced shit, like. Brienne is it, the like, top. Up, I, she might be the right top right now.
0: Like I don't know who who beats Brienne in a fight.
1: I pro- I Braun, I probably maybe? put John One maybe 1A and 1B. Do you, think, one he, one do you B. think he could beat Brienne though? I think he's got I, the th- perfect right. mix of like her technical precision right. and like bronze like shiftiness. Right. Sure. 1 2. Yeah. I would agree. So w- where's Arya now? Because she is very good. She's very good. <gasps> very good. Using a combination of Sirio's water dancer training right. and her faceless men training, she fights Brienne. She gets that dagger up to Brienne's neck. Right. I mean, this Real is fast. amazing shit. Remember what Sirio told Arya a million years great. ago, way, 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 way back in season one. He says, uh, You want to do this in some, some now Sirio we will voice? Begin the dance?
0: Remember, child, this is not the dance of the Westerosi we are learning. The knights dance, hacking and hammering. This is the bravos dance, the water dance. It is swift and sudden. All men are made of water. Do you know this? If you pierce them, the water leaks out and they die.
1: That's, That's what it. happened. That was it. That's what we watched. The knights dance, hacking and hammering, yeah, and then the water was. dance. It was so cool. Well, so who won? Who yeah, won the fight? A, it's open question, actually. Bran is using a blunted right practice sword. She does get that kick in, though. That well, I,
0: I think I think that's when she got serious. The first, I yeah. mean, the first little flick of needle was kind of like, "Look, I can do this." Right. And and I, I think you could presume that Brienne was taking
1: it kind of easy on her the first two encounters. True, and yet Arya got that dagger up her yeah. throat. A reckoning is coming for basically anyone in Arya's way. I yes. think that's the point, right? Arya is not one to fuck with. Yep. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, Jason. Amazing. And like the Miranese Knot, Blue Apron is completely flexible. So you can
0: customize your recipes each week and choose delivery options that fit your needs and... Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right.
1: Let's take a gander at what three-fingered hob has on the menu. <laughs> Featured upcoming meals include, for the month of August, basil pesto chicken. Mm, sauteed shrimp and green beans with globe
0: tomatoes, spinach, and orzo pasta. Whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato caprices salad. Mm, miso butter, salmon. And lo mein noodles with cucumber
1: and charmed tomatoes. And last but certainly not least, meatball pizza. Yum. With fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes. My goodness, I cannot wait to try that. I love food delivery. Same here. And so I cannot
0: wait to try that. Bring it to my house. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Game of Thrones. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's BlueApron.com slash Game of Thrones. Blue
1: Apron. It's a better way to cook, guys. Now, back to binge mode. Jason. Yes. I see a great deal of potential in you. your suggested venture, and I imagine it will require outside investment.
0: <laughs> the way you're winking your eye, I'm not sure what we're talking about. But yes,
1: I will take the gold. Uh, now that Cersei yeah. has name-dropped a famed group of cell sorts, uh-huh. set her man Kybern Kybern <laughs> to securing their <laughs> services, and dropped some very intriguing language about wanting them to recover some things that belong to her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. please assemble the conclave. Sure. Head to the citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about the Golden Company. The Golden Compass.
0: (laughs) No, sorry. Love that book. Great book. The Golden Company have their roots in the Blackfire Rebellion, which we've talked about before, was the war of succession that arose because of the really kind of uh, reckless policy of legitimizing bastards put into place by Aegon IV, the unworthy. He had a lot of bastards with a lot of noble ladies, which were called the great bastards because they were noble bastards. And he legitimized them all. And of course, uh, you know, one of them at least wanted the throne. His name was, his name was Damon Blackfire. And further muddying the waters here, Aegon IV had gifted his bastard son with The sword named Blackfire, which was the sword carried by the Targaryen kings going back to the days of Aegon the Conqueror. This, as you would imagine, kind of signified to that bastard that I want you to be king. His father saying that to him. Anyway, the first Blackfire rebellion broke out in 196 AC, so you're talking about like 100 plus years before the the events of the show. Uh, The king at the time was King Daeron II, and he... Had fighting for him uh, numerous notable loyalists, probably the most famous of which is Brendan Rivers, AKA the Three Eyed Raven, the future Three Eyed Raven. So during the climactic battle of the, the Blackfire, the first Blackfire rebellion, uh, the usurper Damon Blackfire, great pastor king of Aegon IV, as we mentioned, was killed alongside his twin sons and heirs by a torrent of arrows fired by Blood Raven's crew of archers. This was at the decisive battle of Redgrass Field. Um, after this battle, Daemon's supporters, the ones that survived anyway, fled to Essos, and among these was Agor Rivers, better known as Bittersteel. He was the bastard uh, son of King Aegon and his fifth mistress, the Endowed Barbara of House Bracken. Bittersteel, great loot. Train Come on, guys, <laughs> you just gotta raise your naming game. <sighs> Fun aside about Barbara of House Bracken: uh, the Brackens named a pair of hills. The teats in her honor. <laughs> anyway. Incredible. What a legacy. What a legacy, guys. So Agor was Damon Blackfire's most ardent supporter. And he's also Blood Raven's like blood rival. They fucking hate each other. So as the Targaryen army, you know, pressed its victory at Redgrass, Bittersteel was able to somehow scoop up Blackfire, the sword, and escape, pick up Damon Blackfire's widow, and sail for Essos. There he, you know, you got to make money. You're in a new town. What are you going to do? He joined the Second Sons mercenary group. And that's how he paid the bills. But watching other former Blackfire loyalists kind of follow a similar path, joining this group and that group and this group, uh, he began to fear that the cause of the Blackfires was going to be lost. It just was going to melt away as as all these people joined different groups. So he thought, okay, I'm going to form my own mercenary group and it's, going to be made up of former Blackfire supporters. So, Agor quit the Second Sons and he founded the Golden Company. They are the most respected of the really disrespectful scum mercenary bands of Essos, where other mercenary bands are just likely to change sides as soon as the going gets rough, maybe kill you and walk away with the gold. The Golden Company have never broken a contract, they say. We should, we should underline that that's what they say. They've never turned on someone who's whose contract with them. Never just walked away in the middle of a war. They don't do that. They are because of this extremely expensive. Also, they're just good at their job. They they come from Westeros, so they have this. They have a culture of intense soldiering. They they bring kind of Westerosi way of warfare with them. They pride themselves on professional conduct. They're expensive, as I said. But listen, you get what you paid for, and their motto is "Our word is as good as gold." Now, because the company was founded by former Blackfires and Blackfire loyalists, it has been a constant source of rebellion and instability for the Seven Kingdoms for a long ass time. Bitter Steel, with the Golden Company behind him, launched the third and fourth Blackfire rebellions. Later, after Igor's death, the Golden Company, under the command of um, Malus the Monstrous, another Blackfire descendant, Malus the Monstrous, as we mentioned before, had this bulbous conjoined twin head coming out of his neck.
1: You. It's pretty gross. Um, <laughs> took part in. I sort of think that we're like bulbous conjoined twin head necks at this point. At this point. point. We are, it's true, <laughs> but it's beautiful. It really is wonderful. <laughs> I'd rather like.
0: There's no one I'd rather be a bulbous conjoined twin <laughs> with. Anyway. Um, he launched what was essentially another Blackfire Rebellion known more commonly as the War of the Nine-Penny Kings when himself and eight other outlaw leaders basically seized the stepstones and tried to carve out their own kingdom down there. So in the books, the Golden Company was involved in Ilya Mopatis's conspiracy to return the Targaryens to the throne but they were just frustrated by Danny's hanging out in Marine policy. Yep. When is this lady going to move? Alone. Come they on, guys, alone. They were not alone. So they threw their support behind a young man who claims to be, claims to be.
1: Is that young Chris <laughs> music? Is it?
0: <laughs> claims to be Aegon Targaryen, the son of Rhaegar and Elia Martell, who is thought to have died at the hands of the mountain, crushed against his head, crushed against the wall. Um, Basically, just because he's like, I'm going to Westeros now, guys. So the Golden Company was like, great, let's go. This is probably not going to play any part in the show, although it is interesting that a lot of John Connington, who is one of the members of the Golden Company, was a good friend of Rhaegar Targaryen. um, A lot of his plot went to uh, Mal's husband, Jorah? Yeah, it did. So Inclu- including
1: it, the grayscale. Including the
0: Grayscale. <laughs> so it's interesting to consider how Jorah might interact with the Golan Company. That's TBD. Anyway, it is really a perfect Cersei move to contract with a group of sellswords who, along with never breaking contract, are most famous for constantly launching... Uh, attempted revolutions to overthrow whoever the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms is so that they can put a black fire on the throne. Yeah, not a great idea, guys. I love anything that involves Jorah. I know you do. Spent some time as a sellsword. He did, as did Oberyn Martell.
1: Mm. Oh. Maester. Yes. Enough with the clever plans. I agree. We have three large dragons. Ooh. We're flying to the Sept right Fucking now we're going to be the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning round style. You go first. What's number one?
0: Number one. Who did the dagger belong to? Brand doesn't ask the question if it doesn't matter. Right. It's in Sam's book. It's got the Dragonbone Hill. It's made of Valerian steel. This is a rare weapon, obviously from uh, owned by a notable person. Is it Rhaegar? Is it Aegon? Is it Aegon's sister wives? Who could it belong to? I can't wait to find out.
1: I can't either. Yeah. Speaking of the past. Oh, man. Number two. A lot of all of this has happened before. All of this will happen Almost again. So much stuff in this episode. So many notes. So many notes returned to in this episode. Either echoing or mirroring an event from the past or actually, like, literally parroting lines from the past. I mean, right. just just to name a few. Obviously, the biggest one is Field of Fire 2.0. I mean, right, com- let's compare this: Field of Fire versus Loot train. train. But Loot Train Attack is... Yes. It is Field of Fire 2.0. Field of Fire... Do you want to give, like, a 30-second, very quick little mini-del on the Field of Fire? Now, Field
0: of Fire was a crucial victory... Uh, Won by Aegon Targaryen in his conquering of Westeros. It it brought the Lannisters to their knees. They knelt after this. It pretty much destroyed organized resistance uh, in Westeros.
1: We had, of course, the Danny and John Exchange that right. mirrored the John Mance Exchange about pride, about kneeling. We had the leader they chose yep. exchange that mirrored another moment from John's past. Arya, her attempt to get into Winterfell, really in some ways mirrors her attempt to get back into the Red Keep in season one after she ran through the dungeons. And it was basically the idea that she's so unrecognizable that she gives her own name and can't get in. There's even a little Arya nod that connects to something from the books when they're like, you're the one impersonating her. A subtle little nod there to to the fake Arya from the books. Of course, chaos is a ladder, literally Bran parroting one of Littlefinger's lines back to him. Even our grammar jokes got in here, guys. Less. Fewer. Fewer. Stannis would be so proud. And then, most importantly of all, I think we can agree. I never tell you how they
0: (laughs) shit themselves. (laughs) Number three. Uh, How do people recognize Valerian Steel? Number three. This is a question I get a lot. They recognize it because it's got a very particular look. It's like this kind of cloudy ripples that are gray. It's not quite shiny, but you can really see the ripples uh, running through it. So when you look at the blade, only Valyrian steel looks like that. It's got a smoky kind of feel to it.
1: Number four. Wouldn't be a season seven Game of Thrones episode without some daddy foreshadowing for Jon. And thank God. I love this shit. Lord Snow. Yeah. Missy says. (laughs) King Snow, isn't it? Davos corrects. No, that doesn't sound right. King John. Yes. Ah, Hmm. Why might none of these things sound right? Could it be because it's not really what his name should be, Jason? Classic moment, of course, when John's response to this exchange is, it doesn't matter. Right. Yes, it does. I know. (laughs) Yes, it does. It matters if your surname should be Snow, John. It matters in the most potent way to the story at large. When Missy presses and she says, your name is Snow, but your father's name was Stark... I mean, this is just overt John Daddy stuff right here. I'm a bastard, he says. My mother and father weren't married. Well, guys, yeah. I think it is, it is safe to say that we are on the brink of this reveal. It's coming. It is coming. It's I mean, coming. it's got to come this season. It feels like it might be coming in the next episode or two. I cannot wait. Uh, Number five. Ari says,
0: John left you in charge. Sansa said, he did. I hope he comes back soon. I remember how happy he was to see me when he sees you. His heart will probably stop. Ooh, foreboding language that I think means What do you nothing? think that means? I don't know.
1: You think it's just the show, like, fucking with us a little bit? I think it's just
0: the show fucking with us, to be honest. It feels weird. It feels very pointed, though. Yeah, it's intentional. Yeah, it is. They're making
1: us nervous. I know. John's going to be fine, right?
0: Yeah, I hope. Well, Jesus
1: <laughs> John's going to be fine, right? <sighs> oh, God. Okay, number six. Who taught you that? Brianne wants to know about Arya's expert water dancing. Her reply? No one. Lovely little nod here, of course, to her past. But, ah, Aha! interesting. Well, who taught her? Sure, the faceless man, but also Cereo. Right. Life. Hope for the Cereo is alive and is a faceless man theory that I will refuse to let Jason talk me out of. I've, I believe it now. Oh my God! What a victory! Wow. Also, while we're talking about Arya, are we shipping Arya and Pod? I'm shipping Arya and Pod. Shipping them really hard. I just, Though, like, I just. If Gendry comes back, then I have to ship Arya and Gendry because I the yeah their was bond like, there, is like there is so just special, a real, like emotion, there. Yeah. Uh,
0: number seven, Davos. Uh, you know, Davos has a wife and kids and that he used to talk about all the time. <laughs> so it is extremely like listen the the Davos and Missy stuff is amusing. Why doesn't Davos want to go home? Also, he lives really close to Dragonstone. Like, it's just weird.
1: It's extremely, it's extremely weird.
0: And then I one more note: when Danny sees, we're making the eight here. Yeah, we're making the eight. (laughs) Fuck it. When Danny sees, when Danny, when John raises the torch and she sees the fucking dragon glass. Right, it was only last episode she was like, "Yeah, give him the fucking dragon glass." What the fucking glass? What is it? Now she's looking at this pile of rocks. It's rocks, guys. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look that great. And it's like she has a look on her face like in Jurassic Park when everybody first sees the fucking brontosaurus. Is like da-da-da-da-da. What a turn
1: from also, Daenerys
0: Targaryen.
1: Nobody, not Sam, not John, nobody can convince the realm that the walkers are real, but there are just drawings of them everywhere. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> guys, check your backyard. Check, check it. You know? Well, Mel.
0: What do you think of her? Who? I believe
1: you know of whom I speak. Ah, this week's champion? I uh, think she has a good heart.
0: A good heart? noticed you staring at a good heart. (laughs) Guilty! So buried, that heart. Buried under layers and layers of things. So,
1: the, the new wardrobes. Everyone's wearing black. I know, so armored up. Mad Axe noted that Cersei's black garb in this episode looked like charred bones. Yeah, man.
0: Can we just like loosen up a little bit,
1: <laughs> guys? Yeah, yes. Uh, each episode, we honor the person who played the game, who advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, uh, pretty obvious, the winner of our champions purse is Dun Dun Dun. The mother of dragons and Drogon, Mama. her favorite child. Aww. <laughs> Uh, Talk about a reckoning, man. Talk about a reckoning, right? This is the ultimate reckoning. The dragons breathing fire onto the realm. This is what we've been waiting for. We got very excited when Danny arrived in Dragonstone and put her hand on the sand. But this is really it. This is really the thing that this entire journey of Danny's has been building to this moment where she took flight and took charge instead of just letting everyone else make decisions and act on her behalf. Drogon showed
0: that at least uh, to everything below Big Crossbow, (laughs) he is basically invulnerable. Like, they fire arrows at his chest. He just lets them, rather than let Danny be exposed to the arrow fire, he just gives up his chest, lets him bounce off. He absolutely destroys the fucking loot train. I mean, this is the thing. Like, (laughs) she has two more of these dragons. I know. It's like, this is, you would imagine anybody who was at this, battle is like guys it's a it's a fucking rap. i yeah. don't want to do this I'm not going out there again jamie is presumably a prisoner after uh, sinking to the bottom of the ocean the, danny has the just incredible moments of chemistry with john mm. just ask the showrunners in the in the uh, director's commentary afterwards where uh, benioff says something to the effect of uh they're beginning to develop feelings for each other he uses the word chemistry so you know it's real um <laughs> Danny did not let up on her you-better-bend-the-knee stance, but also she got a little bit of romance in and agreed to help John with the White Walker stuff. Burned up the loot train quite effectively.
1: Though maybe take some of that grain. You're worried about feeding your army. I think
0: it's just hard because the dragon, when the dragon starts breathing fire, it's like the fire will go where it will. And then, (laughs) gotta ask because the internet is, does Danny like burning people too much? Like, I give her a pass in this case. This is war.
1: Right? I, I feel the same way about it. Obviously, some concerning tendencies just in general sure, sure. for her. I mean, even just in the preview for next week's episode, she does the whole "I don't want to kill you, but bend the knee or I will" thing, right. and that part isn't great. It's not great. But this is war. This is battle. When you are in battle, you have to be able to win. It's about advancing your position and compromising your enemies. And Danny achieved that. She regained just. A huge amount of ground here that she had just lost. She was she was catching L's left and right. Yep. In the last few episodes. And she can't just Cersei came back, was rolling. She just came back super strong. And the thing about
0: Danny is she can absorb those L's. She's got a big army. Right. I think I'll just waiting. Waiting for ride Waiting for
1: Daddy. Who's gonna ride me? <laughs> well, friends, that is a wrap. It's a wrap. Maybe they didn't teach you that at fancy lads school. Fancy Lad school. Dickon we- <laughs> Dickon We hope that you had as much fun as we did today. What an episode to discuss. Glad that we had the the time to discuss it with you. Yes. We hope, of course, that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing Season 7, Episode 5, Eastwatch. Woo! We also hope that you will check out the full suite of offerings from the Ringers Game of Thrones coverage. Please watch Talk the Thrones live on Sunday night on Twitter after the episode airs. Obviously, check out our homies, Chris and Andy. They're on Talk of the Thrones with us. That's right. We have a blast. We do. As a family. Listen to The Watch. They go deep on Game of Thrones on Mondays, obviously. Obviously, Head back to the Citadel with Jason on Tuesdays by reading Ask the Maester and watching and participating in Ask the Maester live. Check out the staff precap. Check out Alison Herman's expert recaps of the episodes right. and everything else that everyone on staff is doing. We just we really love Game of Thrones here, guys. We we write about it and talk about it a lot. Until then, flee, you idiot. You idiot. <laughs> you fucking idiot. love it. What do you think of her? Uh, who? I believe you know of whom I speak. Of. Uh, Town whore. Uh the
0: teeth are weird, but she's she got a she's got a great heart. great sense of humor. Yeah, I've uh,
1: a great heart. I've uh
0: noticed you're staring so at her no, great there's heart. There's no time for that because I saw the fucking Knights King, Mal, looked into his fucking eyes!